0: Hey, Kirk Parks, what's that book that you and I have been reading by Matt Walsh? What's it called? Something about the church? Church of Cowards. Church of Cowards. Thank you. Church of Cowards. That book is not about us. But I'll tell you what, in that book, The Church of Cowards... He makes a really interesting statement. He says, you know, on Judgment Day, it's rather interesting. Why would people want to go to heaven who've done everything in this life to hate on Jesus and his followers and all that uh, we're called to be and do? Of course, they're going to realize what their life means for eternity. I thought that was rather interesting. And I'm not quoting Matt Walsh on any biblical authority, but... I love family camp because of the conversations and the hugs the hugs that mean so much you know, as I was singing I was watching uh, Matt or Matt <laughs> his lovely bride Jen just giving the main squeeze I couldn't tell who it was but she was like "Ah!" You know, that's, what, that's what family camp's all about not just hugs from Jen <laughs> but if you haven't got one, you're missing something, okay? But uh, it's the relationships. It's so cool to know that there are brethren from all over the United States. There's folks joining us from Belarus and Georgia and, and uh, other places, Poland. Man, that's powerful. It's awesome. The Church of the Living God is worldwide and the fellowship of the saints, such as we have at so many different family camps across the nation all year long, and the men's camps. The power of recognizing who we are, that great resurrection army that Steve talked about, and we get to come together. And we come together from such diverse backgrounds. And uh, I'll tell you what, I love this next preacher very much, as so many of you do. You know, and he was an atheist that I think was honestly searching for the truth. He just wasn't finding it. He could, if you have to sit down and ask him some of his stories about what he used to do to to Christian groups at Oregon State uh, uh, Oregon State Fair, <laughs> one of the funniest stories you'll ever hear. Okay, and then when his lovely uh, bride to be wanted me to perform the wedding ceremony. It was pretty funny because uh, our first introduction, when I said, if you want to guarantee in your marriage, you gotta follow this book. Man, you could see him just bristle up.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and he went
0: on a little tirade, a little bit. You know, it's pretty controlled for a Marie Callender's restaurant, appreciate that, man. But I could tell, man, the fire in his eyes was like, that's not how it
1: works.
0: (laughs) Praise God. He's just a sweet brother in Christ. And the zeal that he had going in the wrong direction is the zeal that he has now going in the way of the Lord. I so appreciate this man. A lot of people, who was it was talking about convictions? Was it uh, Souter? Souter's not here. Tell you what, this guy's gotten in trouble with the church establishment because... He's got convictions, and they're strong and true, and they're driven by not church tradition. And church traditions can just be habits that people are doing. That that's the expectation of this is what the Bible says, and it not, may not necessarily be. Appreciated this man because there have been times where we've been nose to nose, and he's listened, and I've listened, and we've studied and come to a knowledge of the truth together, and we've stood together. I appreciate this man so much. I love him so much. Let's bring him on. Matt Kaikula. Like, he's my favorite classic liberal. <laughs> <laughs> All For
2: right. those who don't know it, we will tell you what it means. That's right. We will here in a bit. I want to jump on something, though. Am I on? Yep, here we go. Yep. Hello. A <laughs> little off topic, but you brought it up. He's got
0: 45 minutes. He only took thirty. I got
2: 45 minutes, that's right. I'll be fast. But we talk about going against the grain. And someone said this morning it made me think about it, and I've heard it multiple times. I've heard many of evangelists really go off on church needs to be more involved. The church needs to be more involved. Each member needs to be more involved. And I'm going to say this because I know I won't offend Bill because he's taking these steps, but when we look around our churches, how many deacons do we have? How many elders do we have? How many teachers do we have? How many times do we get those people that we encourage to get involved Lay hands on them with the blessings of the Holy Spirit and let them go free. Jen and I were at my shareholder meeting this year. Every year we do a shareholder meeting with the company. And the president brought up a good point. He put up a graph of our profits. And I'll just tell you, profits have done this. And then he matched the graph and he said, notice how this graph of profits so closely matches Ownership as we let more people, well, no, excuse me, first graph, second graph, is this is what happens when we started profit sharing more with all of our people. And that graph of what we were profit sharing with our people went up along with our profit. And then the third graph was almost matched perfectly our profit graph. He said this is our graph as we've added more owners into the company. And what do you think happened? As people were rewarded, and as people were given responsibility, and as people took ownership, literally of the company, our profits skyrocketed. Do you think there's a correlation between that and us actually going back and starting to build the church as it should be built, and laying hands on people, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide them? Start them out as deacons. I started out as a plumber apprentice, and I always figured that deaconhood was an apprenticeship, to elderhood. And shame on us for the church that we spend so much time going out there to save souls and then bring them to a broken organization that is not built upon scriptural principles. I'll stop there, but think about that. As I retire, that is going to be my message to the churches is that we need to start building this thing according to the pattern. And I'm really excited about it. But that said, how many here were here for last year? Hey... How many gave more this year, because you were convicted, to test the Lord in this and see if it was so? Alright. Praise God. Did it work? Yes. Praise God. Okay. So let's go back to last year's notes, and I just do want to look at one thing, hopefully. Let's go to the synonyms and antonyms of being liberal. So one of the great things about being liberal is we've got an election this year, 2024. (laughs) And we've got two great choices again. (laughs) alright maybe that might have hit flat but anyway I want you to think about being liberal remember what it was, definition the quality of state of being liberal, liberality synonyms of liberalness big heartedness bountifulness, bounty generosity, generousness largesse munificence, open handedness open heartedness philanthropy and unselfishness should those characteristics not be ours as Christians? Amen. All right, let's look at the antonyms, right? Cheapness, closeness, meanness, miserliness, parsimony, which just means tight, tight uh, Penuriousness, which I talked about last year, same kind of thing. Pinching, selfish, tightness, or in gener- ungenerosity. So if you want to be penurious in the church, it is not akin, it is not a synonym with the adjectives we would use as Christians. Right? We want to be of all people, large-hearted. Yeah. Big-hearted. Open-hearted. The whole concept of currency, right, is that it flows. Flows through you. From who? God. God. God gives us the money. It flows through us to those things which we know He needs. And again, I throw throwing in here early. There's no service to Christ or God apart from serving others. We understand that? There's no such thing as serving God, serving Christ without serving others. So I've got a little issue to take with Bill. He calls, and I will say he's prepped me for this. I want kind of a redo of last year. And I'm like, part twos are hard to do right. Anybody ever see smoke in the bandit two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't as good. It didn't hit as well. So, Anybody see Dumber and Dumber 2? Yeah, just didn't hit well. Doing part 2's is hard. Hopefully I'll do more of an Empire Strikes Back than a... (laughs) So today though, my verse is a little different. That's the other thing. Not only does he say I want to redo, but the scripture I give you is totally opposite. Actually it's not, but it's it's a little more of the serious tone of it. But I want to start somewhere else. I want to start with God's admissions and, ro- and, and warnings. Go to Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. It says there, Do not weary yourself with gain- to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it, for when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle, so that it flies toward the heavens. I told you guys I'm retiring, which means I've been investing... So that I can afford to retire, and I will tell you what: you can open your old phone on any given app, and it's amazing how quickly twenty-five grand can just disappear, <laughs> right? And so, if you ever had a doubt about that, just start investing and just check it out. Sometimes money just disappears. Now, sometimes, right? If you're doing the right things, you open it up. Hey, twenty-five grand ahead, praise God. But you just can't get all that worried about it, right? Why? Why do we? Why do we weary ourselves for the gain of money? And if I ask all of you why, I'm asking. I want some answers. Why do we Why do we weary ourselves for the gain of money? What is it we're looking for? Security. security. Good one. Love Woman's voice.
1: Freedom.
2: Yeah, freedom. That's definitely, that's my answer right there. I have to laugh, the security is that woman in the back standing around there dancing. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, just make sure I'm taken care of. What else? Why else? Freedom, security, great Toys. answer. Toys. What? Toys. Toys. Sometimes, matter of fact, even the Bible says, Enjoy the fruit of your wealth, right? He says, "Go ahead, and enjoy." Oh, well, maybe your bowl, toys. What else? To eat, just basic survival, right? <laughs> basic survival, and those are all right. And so, we do have to work. We are encouraged to work. We are encouraged to be productive, right? I mean, there's—I could go after. We could sit in Proverbs forever and talk about that. There are good reasons to work. There's good reasons. But if you're chasing wealth for wealth's sakes, you are going to have an unhappy, unfulfilled, and unfruitful life. Just tell me that right now. So we need to make sure the why we're doing it is is right. Um, Proverbs chapter 27, 24. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown to endure all generations. Riches don't last forever, right? Last time I checked, right? You don't take it with you. And we'll talk about that a little more. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Now look at the dichotomy in this verse. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. <clears throat> Another sidebar. I told my wife I wouldn't do this. I'm going to do a little bit of this. Be careful with side hustles that try to mix money and God. That's all I'm going to say. Be very, very, very careful with side hustles that try to mix money with God. Do your own work. Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be awesome. So we know that, we went through that last year a little bit, too, that what you really want, you will find a way to fund. What you really want, you'll find a way to fund. I wanted a family, right? I had a woman who said, I want to have kids now, okay, and then it was like, I want to stay home, okay, and here we are, right? I found a way to do it, praise God. What you want, you will find a way to fund. And Bill brought it up with toys. I see a lot of guys that figure out how to work hard to fund toys. How, if we love God, how come we can't find a way to fund God? Yeah. Right? Because it is. I mean, and God needs funding. Part of my early rant, short rant, is in order to build a church like we want to, we need more funding. I'm going to tell you that. You're not going to build something great without a lot of effort. And it's going to have a lot of cost. The church can do it. We have a mighty Holy Spirit within us. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and a many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. Remember, Dave Ramsey years ago talked about a brick. A brick is neither positive or or negative, right? A brick is a brick. A brick can be used to build a homeless shelter or a hospital, or a brick can be used to break a window or club somebody over the head, right? It's just a neutral item. But this scripture clearly says that what is the root of all evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is a useful tool. It's a lot of fun, too. Right? Remember... Teaching Dave Ramsey way back when, and he said, listen, man, it's just a lot of fun. And it's like, yeah, it is. Money buys freedom. That's where it's funny, because for my wife, I'm pretty sure her first answer would be, money is security, and my first answer is, money is freedom. Right? And there's, there is scripture to back that up. We'll get there. But I want to understand, I want you to understand that it is a very powerful tool if we are very careful with how we wield it and why we go after it, and why we work so hard for it. First Timothy chapter six, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 13. Make sure that your character is free from the love of, love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? So we've established the love of money as a problem. If you love money, you're going to have problems. Right? That's, that is, scriptural principle is very, very apparent and very, very true. If you love money more than other things, you are going to have some serious pitfalls as the scriptures have said, as we've already read this morning. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the what? What was that? What? I'm I'm hearing a little bit here, but I'm not hearing anything over here. Honor the Lord from what? First, First. 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 In case we didn't get it, first of all, your produce. Why? So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We've talked about it, and I think I gave Charlie credit last year. But but, uh, up in Bozeman, Charlie did a great deal back in 1998, uh, preaching on testing the Lord in this, and it really convicted me. And I'm telling you, once we made that conviction, and then it quit being Oh, we'll tithe if there's enough left over. We'll tithe when I'm a journeyman and I'm actually making real money. We just said, you know what, we're going to do it. And you know what happened? Great blessings. And they haven't stopped. That was over 20 years ago. Right? And so when we honor the Lord from the first of our produce, all those other wonderful scriptures we talked about last year in part one that was so good, those are yours. Right? Those are yours. But understand... You have to make the first move. You've got to take the step of faith. You've got to understand if I give this, the Lord will honor this and multiply it. But you need to give out of the first of your produce. It's not i I'll give if, it's I'll give then, we'll see what happens. And we really need to understand that. Amen. God wants us to be humble. And that takes us to the verse that Bill gave. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Right? We talk about money to buy some cool things, but Jesus is what is truly life indeed. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the picture. He's the alpha. He's the omega. And we need to understand that as Christians. And and if we find ourselves in a situation where we have done really well, understand these pants still go on the same way as everybody else's pants, still deal with the same issues that everybody else deals with, still get old, still get tired, still get hungry, right? You are nothing special. So if God so sees and deems it to bless you, you are, should be, excuse me, thankful. You should be humbled and understand, I don't know why, but he's chosen me and there is great responsibility in that. And so humility really is the first order of the day. So many people say, I will help when I have the money to do so. But I will tell you that the money will not come until you choose to help. Does that make sense? If you don't show a heart for it, right, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And if you're not faithful in the little things, why is he ever going to give you the opportunity for the big things? Right? Those are just basic principles we understand, but yet when it comes to the biggest thing, well, wait a second, Keiko, we're not talking about ideas, we're not talking about theories, we're talking about life. Like, I I don't know, I got more month than I got paycheck, what are you talking about? Well, maybe you got more month than paycheck because you're short Changing the one who controls the month. We ever think about those things. And we need to understand that if you want that kind of prosperity that God promised that we talked about last year. Man, shaking, pressed down, overflowing, new wine, new vats, new everything. Then you've got to give it first. Because if you're just going to hoard it. If you're just going to say, look at how good I'm doing. I'm going to build new Wineries, I'm gonna build new granaries, and I'm just gonna take my ease. No, you're not. Not for long, you fool, because do you not realize that this night your life will be required of you? That's what our Lord says about being that kind of person. So we need to understand what kind of heart we have if we're gonna be entrusted with these things. Luke six thirty-eight, give and it'll be given to you. They will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over four by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Do you struggle in life? Do you struggle with finances? My first question would be, do you struggle with giving to others? Do you struggle with seeing the value of other people's needs ahead of your own? Because if you're struggling with money, if you're struggling with finance, if there is more month than there is money, maybe you need to focus on others more. I know it sounds absolutely 100% counterintuitive, but that's exactly how our Lord has set it up. You need to see others as more important than yourself, and guess what, when you focus on others, when you focus on taking care of other people, when you focus on listening to people, and hearing them, and helping them, and empathizing them, what happens to your own problems? Anybody been there? They go away, you ever notice that? All these problems I had, when I made other people my focus, when I made other people the priority, when I focused on listening to them and empathizing with them and doing everything I could in my power to help and encourage them, what happened to my own problems? They're gone. Matter of fact, the scripture even says something about rebuking the devourer. Do we believe that? Do we understand how that process works? Do we believe we have a God able to do that? because that's where it really comes down to a lot of times is our faith. We don't believe that if I give and if I focus on others and if I do this, I don't have to worry about myself. It will be taken care of. I'm not saying just the absentee. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when we focus on others, when we focus on helping others and strengthening others and helping even those whose garments are polluted by the flesh, our own problems disappear because we're focused on those that need help. We're focused on those that Jesus would be focused on if he were here. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Now we start getting to the harder matter. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the, the what? The chapter of what? The faith. People who have faith, right? And so let's let's ask some questions about these people of faith. All these... In, died in faith, these people of faith we're talking about, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they, these faithful people, desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Do you want to be one of those people of faith? If so, then you've got to understand there is nothing here on this earth that we are living for. What we are looking for will not be found on this side of life. It'll be found on the other side. And it may not even be something that we see in our lifetime It may be a tree planted that we never sit under the shade of. It may be things that we plant today that take root years, decades, centuries after we're gone. We need to have that kind of mindset and be that kind of people that is okay with not eating of the fruit of our labor, but understanding that God will use that labor and other people will benefit from that labor. Other people will sit under the shade of that tree. Other people will be looking for that same city whose architect and builder is God. We need to be those people. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Does it get any clearer than that? If you're chasing a buck, you're in for a long race. Because it's never going to be enough. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage of the owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Ask yourself, Christian, am I hoarding riches to my hurt? One of the things he says is when more money comes, what happens? More people show up. A modern day vernacular of that is mo money, mo. We all know it, right? Mo money, mo problems. And everybody says, I want to have that problem. Do you really? No, you don't. You want to focus on the right things. I do love, I personally, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a ton of stuff in there that is it's solemn, right? The wisest man ever. And if you kind of get his sense of humor and his sense of flow, there are a lot of really great things in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what I love here is he talks about, listen, you got people chasing money. And he says, so what's the advantage in the owners except to look on? What's that owner looking on? That's all the people taking his money and eating his food and, and right living off of his coattails. He says, but the sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or eat much, right? Whether he gets a big full meal, whether he gets a small meal. Working man sleeps well, sleeps good, knows where he's going, knows who he is, and he knows whose he is. Working man sleeps good. We all need to be working folks, right? doesn't mean working jobs particularly, but we need to be working on whatever it is that God has given us to do. Whatever he's put in our path, we do it with all of our might. We do it to the best of our ability. We put our hands to that task and we don't look back. That's what we're called to do. And he, he will give us the blessings. I love Job. <clears throat> um, well, let's go back to Ecclesiastes real quick. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter three. God set the eternity in the heart of man. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in the heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning, even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them to rejoice and to do good do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. Well, I've been a plumber by trade, and as a lot of you know said, I'm gonna retire. And I'm getting some blowback a little bit now. That some people are like, wait a second, 52? Really? It's like, yeah, I worked hard, 52. Like started young, got into it, worked hard, it was very physical in the beginning, became more. Brain work in the end, which is even worse, it seems. And it's like it worked hard, but no, people don't retire until 62 or 67 or 70. Come on, man, you can't retire at 52. There's something wrong with you, like what's what's wrong? I don't need anymore, right? God's blessed us, we're doing fine. My body is taking a hit, I need to get back into shape. It's time. And then I will say I've heard in the church a bunch of times, there's no such thing as in the Bible as retirement. Oh, wait a second. Wait, wait a second. Go to Numbers chapter 8. Now notice this comes from God, not from man. This isn't a precept of man. It's a precept of God. Numbers chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is what applies to the Levites. Notice, who's the one doing the speaking? Anybody? The Lord. Who's doing the listening? Moses. So whose idea is this? Okay, smart check. This is what applies to the Levites from 25 years old and upward. They shall enter to perform the service and the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of what? 50? I am two years late to the game. They shall retire from service and the work and not work anymore. So these guys are just going to Become a lazy boy on a lazy boy, right? No, it's not what happens. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations. Brethren, retirement is from the Lord. And that's because he's got a plan, right? These older people, these retirees, are needed somewhere. Where? where? In the church. There's some younger folks who can probably use some wisdom, right? You old bald head, you've been around a little bit, you might know a few of these things. Help me out. Encourage me. How did you do it? What did you do? There's a lot, if we understand what needs to be done, that older folks can do in the church to help the younger generation and so we can actually act as a functional family of God. It goes back to what I had to say in the beginning to act as a functional family of God, that I'm not out there chasing the dollar anymore because, one, God graced me with the ability to do what I did, and two, that I was smart enough to at least pay attention, and three, that I was able to, to cut this off and not have to work for a dollar anymore, I can now focus my time where? On the church. And the church is people. And there is no service to God apart from service to others. Because that's what he would be doing if he were standing here right now today. And so as we understand that and we get to that, then we understand that there is a process that I'm going through here, right? I need to have a healthy relationship with my finances so that I can give. I need a healthy, and not everybody is going to be givers. But it says if you are a giver, you should do so with liberality. There it is, right? The word that we need to steal back from the left. and Job again naked came I from my mother's womb naked shall I return there The the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and through all this Job did not sin nor did he blame God Job was an old man he wasn't going to go out and make another fortune was he and what happened to the fortune he had gone and in the end what happened He was better off in the end than he was at the beginning, minus the children he lost, but he was better off. Who caused that to happen? So he doesn't do that anymore, right? So at 52, if something happens and I lose everything, do I just despair because all my hope that was in my money is now gone? Or do I understand that my God is bigger than finances, my God is bigger than Wall Street, my God is bigger than my employers, my God is bigger than this government, and that if He so desires, and I have the right heart, He'll make sure I have the funding to fund others. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that the same God that caused Job to be better off at the end than He was at the beginning could do the same for you if you find yourself in the same situation? That's the kind of relationship we have to have with finances. That's the kind of relationship we have to have with money. The easy come. As the old Greek George trait said, easy go, right? <laughs> but at the same time, with God, easy go, easy come. That he causes even his righteous to profit in their sleep. We need to believe that's our God and that's what he'll do for us if we have the right heart. Matthew 6, 24. No one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We know this is talking about cash, because the way this ends, you cannot serve God and wealth. You need to figure out that relationship and get it right from the beginning. As a young person, you need to figure out what is a healthy relationship to how I spend. I have a few people in and out of my life that just, they don't focus on cash, they don't focus on wealth creation, but man, they can do it. And they just have a good time, right? It's just kind of what they do. It's, it's their gift. But I also notice they don't get too worried if it comes. Don't get too worried if it goes. There's more out there. We'll find it. And we have a God that has flat out told us if we focus on the right things, if we do the right things, and if our heart is right, then he will always make sure we have what we need to help others, to feed our families. To help the church, to fund the church, to fund the work of the church, which is plentiful. Matthew 26, we did that. Matthew 6, excuse me, Luke 6, verse 10. We quoted this earlier. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, ooh, well, he gets right down and points that stick, doesn't he? Pokes us right there. Who will entrust true riches to you? And he's not talking about money there. Right? The money was where you kind of struck out. The true true riches is what? Eternal life. Hope. The very thing we're talking about. If you can't handle this. How are you going to handle that? And so, gives us a very pointed observation there. <clears throat> and if, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either they'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And then lastly, and I've been bringing it out because I want to hammer this point home and hammer this point home and hammer this point home. Serving God is serving others. You can't, I mean, you guys are talking about a little home church. Mark, I know you were talking, you know, I've watched you guys a style your pictures from the home assembly. Come to Oregon City sometime. We have a great time. Some of you might be offended with how much we laugh in assembly. <laughs> but we have a good time there, and we're very small. But, man, we may be small, but we are mighty, right? Because we know who we are, and we know whose we are. But serving God, apart from serving, like, you can't just hide in our own little home church and study the Bible and never interact with people. That is not what God has called us to do. It goes counter-contrary to the great American myth, right? And I don't, again, probably tread some, but you know, the great American myth, what's that? Well, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and moved me and my wife and my seven kids out of the country and I live self-sufficient. Well, I grew up on 20 acres. My stepdad thought he had to have buffaloes without buffalo fence, quails, pigs, horses, mules. And when I moved out, I thought I never ever want to own property again. Because you know what I did most of my childhood? I dug ditches. I was digging ditches for the well. I dug the well. I hand dug our 22-foot well, which went dry, and then we had to trailer. I think I told you guys about that last year. And then I had to water all the animals, and I had to feed all the animals, then I had to move the sheep that were pinned, and then, oh, I mean, you name it. And I thought, I never want to see another piece of property again. I love Safeway. I go down there. I buy what I need to eat, I go home, and I eat. <laughs> and if that 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 end of that, that flow of trucks stops trucking, my wife will tell you, because it bugs her to no end, I've got five years worth of dried food in my house. I'll learn to like it. But I'm not going to plan it. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But the old myth, right, is that we're self-sufficient. And it, we are, as Americans, more self-sufficient than a lot of other countries, than a lot of other cultures. But the reality is, and I remember reading a book about it, and it was a book about the Israelites and the Jews in particular. And does anybody know why Jews have been so successful throughout history, no matter what country they've been in? Yeah. Maybe. Anybody figured it out, though? Where did Jews live primarily? Did they all live in the country interspersed? Did the Jews in Germany, were they all interspersed living in the country? Where did they live? in the cities. And guess who made your shoes? And guess who cut your meat? Guess who cut your hair? Guess who made your clothes? Guess who owned the bakery? Guess who owned the bank? Jews have been successful throughout history because they've stuck together. They've actually lived in communities. And notice they become persecuted because they they do really well. Older Jews do this miraculous thing where younger Jews who are hardworking and ambitious, you know what they do? They set them up. They fund them. They funnel business their way. They help them. And amazingly enough, when you do that as a community, things prosper. Can you believe that? And so Jews who have primarily been city dwellers throughout all of history, no matter where they end up, you take a point on a map and and stick a pin there, they end up very successful because they help one another, and they stick together. And so, God, you said God. Yes, because our faith in God. They stick together. Now, we Americans, what do we do? Especially you Montanans. <laughs> you see that light over there, seven miles yonder? Yeah, it's my neighbor's outhouse about three miles from his house. <laughs> A little more dispersed living, which is fine. I'm not saying that I, I am not saying anything about it. I love Montana, it's a beautiful state. I myself like going out in the woods and sleeping in tents. But what I'm saying though is we have a mindset in America that I'm gonna do this myself. I'm self-sufficient. Drive my track. Dawn till dusk. Sorry. <laughs> right? I've been there. Deadbad dead, had a Kubota. I got tired of driving that stupid thing from dawn till dusk. But we have a very independent mindset, and sometimes in the church that works against us. Right. Sometimes in the church that works against us, and we need to have a more communal mindset. That I am just as worried about you over as I am worried about myself. I think that is a very godly thing, very godly characteristic to possess. And again, for all the fun I poke at, at all these things. That is our tradition as Americans, and I'll be the first to admit I've kind of lived that my own life, my whole life. I have had more than a few mentors say, you are very difficult to mentor. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> because I got a very independent streak. I know what I want, and I know how I think I want to get it. And I think Bill's been part of it. sometimes, you got to kind of corral that. Kind of like a pinball. right? Just, I see the heart there, but man, there's going to be damage. And so we just need to understand sometimes, how do I calm down my sense of self and my sense of, I'm going to do this my way, and mold into the picture of the body of Christ Jesus, where each individual member is working as the body has intended for the growth of each individual member into the character of Christ. How we use our money is is part of that. How we see ourselves as Christians is another big part of that. And we need to be cognizant that apart from serving others and being very involved in other people's lives and being very concerned about them so that it causes us to pray and to work and to do and to listen and to spend time and to give, that we need to have that kind of mindset in order to be a functioning body of the church of the living God. And so it's important that we have the right mindset. <clears throat> Romans chapter twelve. Let's wrap it up here. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. Listen to that entreaty. I urge you by the mercy of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than himself, that he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are what? One body in Christ. And individually members of who? One another. Right. I'm not anti-American. I'm definitely not anti our history. But the mentality, the Western, especially us that live in the West, like, right, west of the Mississippi, we have a very independent street. And I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. But we kind of got to get over that and bury that and realize I am no longer an individual. I am a member of the body of Jesus Christ. That we are individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation he who gives there it is again, with liberality and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness so we see that we all have a part, we all have a piece to play in one another's lives God has told me to be up in your old business God has told me to be up in your business, (laughs) and I'm about to retire. (laughs) Got a couch? Love to come visit. But we really need to be mindful of that, and we need to be, that needs to be our goal, right? Is I need to be intertwined with you, I need to know what's going on, I need to be, Concerned about what's going on. I need to cry with you when you cry. And I need to rejoice with you when you rejoice. Let me say something about that. Why is it we have such a hard time rejoicing with others? Why is it? Sometimes because, mm-hmm, yeah. well, if they got it, it came because I didn't. <laughs> Maybe you just have a lousy attitude. <laughs> if they got it, rejoice. Praise God, brother, sister. Praise God, that happened. You didn't take something because from me because you got something and I didn't, and vice versa. If I got something, rejoice with me because I didn't take it from you, right? Who, who's in charge? Of all this stuff. Take it upstairs to the man. He's the one in control. But we as a church need to be able to rejoice more with those rejoice. We kind of understand the mourning with those who mourn. We understand comforting. We're not. I'm not that great at. Let me say that. I'm not as good at as I need to be. Something I need to work on. But at the same time, a lot of people, and I see people struggle with this. Good job.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: right? I mean,
1: <laughs>
2: I saw a YouTube thing, that, not YouTube, but Facebook. I got on Facebook the other day and I was looking for something, actually I was looking up a guy that's going to come work for me just to see what I could see. And I see that a couple of people are immersed. Praise God or bless day. Right? That is praiseworthy. That is awesome. That is worthy of rejoicing and to put a note on there saying blessed day as it was. We need to learn how to rejoice when others rejoice. We need to learn how to rejoice with them and be happy for them. That something for some reason in the nature of man despises excellence in others that we need to kill through the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. <clears throat> so how do we kindle this hope? Not in just a godly fire but a godly inferno that burns down the world right and if you understand what I'm saying there I want a godly fire that burns down the world there is nothing good in this world because this world more and more has a great absence of what God all you got to do is look at when things are good because God is present when things are bad it's because he is not and I, personally, want to see a godly fire that burns down the world. And in order to, to do that, and to make that happen, we need to ask one question. Lord, who is my neighbor? Right? We've seen that question asked before. Kind of asked in a smart aleck way. Who is my neighbor? And so if we go to Luke... <clears throat> You know, not to take a shot on anybody that practices law. But a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, and all your soul, and all your might, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, lest you think that lawyer is just a jerk, recorded in all time for us, brothers and sisters, you are that lawyer. Because you need to ask yourself on a daily basis, who is my neighbor? And we need to answer ourselves honestly. And Jesus said to him, and Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, and saw him, passed by him on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, and pouring in oil and wine on them, he put on two, he put and he put him on his two beasts, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. How do we turn this fire within us into a godly inferno? We show mercy on our neighbors. Can you drive down the street today? I have a hard time driving to Portland because there's a ton of need, right? I could expend myself in less than a week just trying to take care of the need I see in downtown Portland, I'm there. And so, what am I saying, I'm a hypocrite? No, I just know that I don't, I don't have an answer to that question yet. But as I transition from one phase in, of life to the other, you know what I do know? Is that my marching orders, my prerogative, my focus needs to be on showing mercy to others. You wanna have hope in this lifetime? You wanna know how to be a liberal who liberally gives and still has hope then show mercy to your neighbor and in that we will start this fire we will kindle this fire we will stoke this fire and we will hear on that day well done thou good and faithful slave thank you
0: How how many thought part two was as good or better than part one?